Media is changing, but how fast? Have you changed how you consume and engage with media content in the last 10 years? Probably yes. Will you change again in the next 10 years? Again, probably yes. But is this change guaranteed? Which type of media company will survive? And how fast will new innovations be implemented? Today, we're speaking with Mr. Martin Hull, Investment Director at Capital Group. Martin, good afternoon. Hello. Now, Martin, I've got a quick question for you. Did you read a newspaper this morning? I haven't read a newspaper in probably about 10 years. Um, <laughs> I get all of my information basically from, you know, the web. Um, so I use, you know, the BBC, um, CNBC, but it's all, I, I do everything online. Um, I also object to the fact they I think it now costs three pounds for a copy of the Financial Times. It's ridiculous when you can get it all basically for free. Um, not, not all services are free, so you have to subscribe to some. But I subscribe to things like The uh, Spectator and Unheard and, and people like that. I, I'm willing to pay that. But no, I haven't, I haven't bought a newspaper in about 10 years. So do you think, are we moving towards a time when there will become no more newspapers? It will all be digital. Um, I think it's moving in that direction. I mean, you look at the circulation figures of, of um, some of the, the big newspapers you know, you go back a few years, and I think Sunday Mirror used to sell something like 5 million copies. Um, and the Telegraph used to sell well over a million. You know, my, my parents used to subscribe to that. Um, now, I, I think that the best-selling newspaper maybe does half a million. And so I, I can see them in basically terminal decline. I mean, it's interesting. That I think the two most popular websites um, on the on the web are the New York Times and the Daily Mail. Um, so they, the, the concept, if you like, of the journalist will survive, but it's just going to go, it's all going to go online. Bad news now, for the news. Let me, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you there, Martin, sorry. but what about, yeah. te what about television? Where are we on the curve of moving from uh, linear to non-linear, from where the TV channel decides what you want and when, what you as the user wants? Well, when I was a child, um, my week was defined by the television schedules. So uh, Wednesday um, was Star Trek, I think. And you remember they used to say, it's Thursday, it's 7.35, it's top of the pops. I was always, you know, at home on a, on a Thursday evening. And Doctor Who was on, on, on Saturday. So the week was defined by the TV scheduling. That's all I, must, I should just apologise for any non-UK listeners, but indeed, <laughs> the top of, top of the Pops was the place where the big chart hits were found. Isn't that true? That's true. And the number one record was always the last uh, record played. And um, some of the people, the, in, uh, the, the people who introduced it and, and, and um, were the, uh, uh, the, the DJs doing it, real characters, um, some of them... <laughs> um, not so uh, salubrious, but there we are. Uh, again, our, our non-British non uh, listeners will not, not get that particular reference. Well, um, Martin, but... Martin, you've sort of revealed that you're not 21 years old anymore. And I, that leads me to ask you, what impact do demographics have on this change? Um, one of the things that's really interesting is the way that consumption of television has changed amongst different age groups. 
So, for example, if you look at the um, amount of time that different age groups um, use to watch linear TV rather than TV on demand or uh, streaming video on demand, um, the 16 to 24 year old group, um, the amount of time they spend uh, looking at linear TV has fallen by 70% um, over the last 10 years. And there is absolutely no sign that that, that trend will change. And even old fogies like me, aged between 50 and 64, our consumption is down 10%. And I have to say, in my household, it's fallen way more than that. Um, we watch hardly any linear TV now. Um, we just watch stuff on you know, Netflix or Amazon or um, whatever. Um, so I think as those young people grow up and become a larger sort of share of the population and old fog fogies and older people die off, the, the, the trend will continue. In fact, it might even accelerate. Now, it's interesting that you mention those video streaming platforms. Of course, each of them have got a slightly different nuance and strategy. Ultimately, in your view, will it be films and series, sports or news that wins the battle for subscribers? Um, I think there's, there's something um, that, that's different about um, sports and news in that most people want to watch it live. Um, and, you know, OK, you get programs in the evening summarising the day's football games or the, the day's cricket. But most people want to watch that stuff um, on um, on the TV live. And, you know, there's a, a song by Elvis Costello where he says yesterday's news is tomorrow's fish and chip papers. Um, old news is, is no news. So I think... Those are two areas which are likely to stay probably the longest in the more traditional forms of TV. But we are seeing um, some of the streaming uh, companies moving into sports. Amazon have done it, for example. So far, Netflix have not. Um, the other obstacle, I think, particularly on the sports side, is just the sheer expense um, of buying into these markets. You know, the Premier League alone in the United Kingdom, uh, the contract um, for uh, getting the, um, the TV rights um, between 22 and 2025 was over $6 billion. And the contract for American football with the NFL um, is currently just over $10 billion a year. So we're talking very, very large numbers. And I think that might be something that um, means that some of the streaming companies will be reluctant to get into it. But I think the most important thing is, honestly, it, it, it really needs to be live. And um, recordings aren't particularly interesting in, in, in many cases. Do you think governments are keen to encourage this or perhaps do they want to limit where people can view things? Um, I think sadly we're moving in the direction where governments want to have more influence. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that works is we've seen um, some of these streaming companies find it very difficult to break into certain markets because the government wants to control um, the output. Um, so I think the kind of move towards um, regulation um, is certainly something, a trend that, that, that will continue. 
Um, of course, there's the issue of content and who can see it. Um, and, you know, we, we've had situations in the past about um, children watching in, inappropriate content, um, if one could call it that. Um, so I think it's something that governments will um, will take very, very seriously. Uh, if you're a terrestrial linear t a TV company like a, a BBC or an ITV, they're much, much easier to control than um, some of these streaming networks. So I think we'll probably see greater regulation. And that could be a constraint to growth um, of these companies over, over the next several years. And as I mentioned before, geographic access is something which I think um, might, might be a constraint as well. Now, one other industry which is huge around the globe, of course, is gaming. Uh, which continued to grow a lot during the pandemic. Do you expect that trajectory to increase? And are there any particular observations about the way it's grown? The, um, this is the fastest growing part of media. Um, and just, you know, this year, we've seen three very major um, deals of companies taking over other companies. The most important, uh, most significant was Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. Um, and, you know, they paid, I think it was something like $70 billion for that business. It's, I believe, the largest acquisition um, they've ever made. Um, and we've also seen um, companies like Zynga being taken over and um, Bungie. I have to say, I've not heard of either of those companies. But anyway, the transactions were pretty major. I think the first one was about $13 billion and the second was about four. So just in the space of a month, um, uh, back in January, we've seen a lot of activity. So I think it demonstrates when you see that sort of level of M&A activity, um, it, it, it's an area that the participants expect to grow very, very quickly um, over the next several years. And I mean, it's, it's amazing the changes that have happened over the last, you know, 20 years or so. Um, if you were gaming on a, on a um, uh, doing some sort of uh, video gaming, you'd be doing it on an Xbox or a, a, a Sony Play, PlayStation. Um, now it's on the web, you can do it interactively. And one of the developments, which I think is really amazing, is it's now becoming a sport. And people go and watch other people playing video games. And the prizes you can earn um, as a participant are really pretty significant. And you get thousands of people turning up to these things. Um, before COVID, you know, in auditoriums, now they, they watch it online. But I, I find it astonishing that people want to watch other people playing video games. But a, a friend of mine, um, that one of their sons, actually makes a living out of uh, competing in these things and um, getting a fair amount of prize money. Um, so I think I, I, I think this growth will continue. I mean, the stereotype of many gamers is young teenage boys. Is that the complete picture? Um, one of the things that I think has really, really changed, and, and this is possibly more to do with um, the gambling side of gaming rather than the gaming, because, yes, it's always been teenage boys. Although it, it, it again, is interesting that um, um, we have a gaming group at Capital, and um, the guy who runs it, I think he's in his 40s, and he's been gaming for 20 years and still does it. So, you know, um, 
maybe going back to your demographic point, um, as people get older, they will continue to do this stuff. But on the gambling side, that's been really interesting um, because, you know, in the past, you'd have to go into some sort of seedy betting shop to place a bet on whatever, the football or the racing. Now you can do it online. And I think the um, the age of people who are gambling has come down dramatically over the last few years. And the other interesting demographic which take, has taken place is the number of women who are now gambling. Um, and I, I, I saw a statistic that something like 40% of the people that do um, online roulette are female. And that's a complete change from probably five years ago. Now, this feels like we're straying into a conversation about the S in ESG. Um, once again, do you think regulators are going to be concerned about the social impact of the rise of gambling, for example? Um, yes, I think they will be. Um, and again, it's an area which I think we'll probably see more government controls. You know, we, we've seen this already, um, limits on the payouts of um, slot machines um, in you know pubs and bars and things like that. So, um, and, you know, it, it, it can become a problem for some people. It's an addiction like um, anything else. So I suspect it is an area where regulation will increase. And again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, it's probably something that will be a constraint on growth over the next few years, higher regulation, more government intervention. Now, we talked earlier about the movement of linear to non-linear video consumption. What will, what will the impact be for advertisers on this change? We've already seen it. Um, you know, I think the world's biggest... Um, uh, or the, the, the company that gets the most revenue from advertising now is Facebook. So we've seen a massive shift from um, the old linear forms, TV, print, magazines, newspapers, um, towards um, uh, social media um, like Facebook, like Amazon, um, like you know, YouTube. Um, and again, I suspect that trend will continue given the changes in um, people's viewing habits as linear TV or traditional TV becomes less and less important, more of that advertising spend will shift. The other thing that's really interesting about the way that it's working now is that um, these big companies um, like Facebook, Amazon, et cetera, et cetera, um, they use um, big data, artificial intelligence, to actually target the adverts to the person who's you know list, uh, watching a particular um, screen, um, and so the the um, the targeting of the adverts is much much better. And in fact, um, I think that there's some evidence to suggest that um, some of the big companies that are putting the adverts on these these services are actually getting better results because rather than it being a kind of shotgun approach. It's more like a rifle, and you're actually going up, uh, going to people um, who might well be interested in your in your product or service. Now, that's another area which I think is something that we we have to be a bit cautious about in terms of government regulation, um, because we have had examples in the past where um, there's been 
a degree of misuse of data um, using information about people uh, again in an inappropriate way so that's something these companies are going to have to be very very careful about but um, as i say targeting advert ad advertising um, is is better for the the company doing the advert but it, it also is more effective um, for the consumer because they actually see stuff they're interested in rather than watching um, a bunch of adverts on, on the television um, in which they have absolutely no interest. Well, Martin, we've talked about uh, video and the change to nonlinear and gaming, but what sectors should investors consider to be good for future returns? I think um, in some cases, I mean, this is like the sort of Californian um, that the people who made the money were not the miners. It was the people that sold Levi jeans and the shovels and the picks and so on. So I think sometimes looking at the companies that are um, providing um, the picks and shovels for the, um, for the industry could well be the, the, the most interesting areas. Um, so, for example, semiconductor companies and the, their equipment suppliers um, could be a, a really interesting area over the next several years. And um, when you look at the sort of investment plans um, that many of these companies have got, they expect dramatic growth. And a lot of that's being driven by the emergence of the metaverse. Um, so the demand for uh, semiconductors is going to go grow dramatically um, over the next several years. Um, and also, um, if we are moving to this more kind of uh, digital environment and we have m far more experiences online and in this the so-called metaverse, we're going to need much faster broadband. And if we're going to do it on a mobile basis, that means we're going to have to really improve the, the, uh, the mobile network, which probably means that companies like uh, the tower companies that own the, um, the, the, uh, the structures where the base stations of uh, cellular telephones are located, that could be a really interesting area as well. So I think those are two, if you like, shovel companies which could really benefit from uh, these trends. Martin, thank you very much for that really interesting conversation. Well, it was, it's been a pleasure talking to you. That was Martin Hull, an investment director of Capital Group. Tune in next month for a new episode of the podcast with the Capital Group, Investing for the Long Term. This communication is of a general nature and not intended to provide investment advice or to be a solicitation to buy or sell any securities. Statements attributed to an individual represent the opinions of that individual and may not necessarily reflect the view of Capital Group or its affiliates.